Hello and welcome to All Three Points, a podcast looking at the World Cup 2022, featuring the points of the player, that's Stuart Lovell, the match official, that's James B, and the broadcaster, that's myself, Paul Mitchell. Thank you to everybody who's been listening to the podcast and for all the feedback, been very kind indeed. We have reached the final podcast of our World Cup adventures. The World Cup final took place on Sunday. It's the second best game I saw at the weekend. Obviously, Hearts 3, Kilmarnock 1 was much better than a three-each game going to penalties. Stuart, first of all, we'll, we'll come to the bombast in a minute, the greatest of all time, the most wonderful, and, and, and all of these things. Let's talk about the first 75, 80 minutes of that game, where 2-0 Argentina and France were barely getting a kick. What was your take? Well, it was interesting. I kind of had James's, um, you know, opinion on France ringing in my ears. Where it's like, God, oh, they don't really, you know, they they have lulls in games and they don't really play with their foot to the floor and all this type of thing. And it was a point that I kind of I gave him a free pass on because you'll find this that people who watch the game sometimes they'll say things like that and and not actually be able to recognise that there's two teams playing. And sometimes you'll get a, a, you'll get a performance like Argentina put in for seventy nine minutes, where everything they do is absolutely pitch perfect. I mean that their their attacking play, their counter attack, they they took the game to France. They pressed, they defended incredibly well. They 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 handled Mbappe, the most dangerous player in in world football, arguably one v one. Hardly gave him a kick. They did everything absolutely on the money, and yet you knew at two nil. All it's going to take is a goal for France to put the wobblers up them. And my God, did they panic in the last 15 minutes. And I, I think if the game had gone another five minutes, you know, in, in, in normal time, I think France probably would have, would have won it. And then you get that change in mentality when you go to extra time. But um, if I said to, you know, if we were talking about this before uh, the final and said it's going to be 2-2 in 90 minutes, 3-3 in extra time, and it's going to go to penalties, you would have said, you, you would have snapped my hand off. So let's be fair. We can, you know, we can ignore some of the comments about best game ever and all that. It was an amazing game. It was an absolute. And now I know you could say from eighty minutes onwards, but it was an amazing performance by Argentina for eighty minutes, and then it was a brilliant game for the rest. Extra time, penalties, the lot. So it was full of drama, lots of great quality, and the two players that we spoke about and said big, big game players step up. Messi stepped up. Mbappe stepped up. And it was, I thought it was a terrific advert for for football at the elite level. Yeah, it was it was absolutely terrific to watch. And I think, you know, James, when I was watching it, I have to say, probably after about 70 minutes, I started to get bored is the wrong word, blase, because I thought Argentina looked unbeatable by that point. I mean, they got the penalty, and all three penalties, I think, were penalties. The Di Maria goal, I mean, I nearly tweeted to say it should be in the Louvre because it was the work of art. I thought that might be a bit insensitive to our French <laughs> friends, but I, I couldn't think of the equivalent in Argentina. But it was a work of art. That's the kind of goal you want to see in a World Cup final. It was joyous. Oh, it was it was fantastic, and I agree with you. It, it was a very exciting game. It was a great game. Whether it's the greatest game I've ever seen, I don't know. Whether it's the greatest cup final, we'll we'll talk about that. But just going back to a couple of things Stuart said as well, and we we did say in the last episode, Stuart said they would go for it. We we thought there would be goals in this match. We talked about the last time they played in the World Cup in Russia, two thousand eighteen. It was four three, um, but 
it, it was an interesting start. Argentina came out the traps. They looked like they were all over France. They were in control. I thought France were doing that thing again that Stuart that explained to me last week where it was tactical and they kind of sit back, they bide their time, they wait, but they just didn't come out at all. And was it a case of Argentina were just so good and kept them hemmed in? And then these, the commentators started mentioning more and more about this illness that had gone through the camp as well. And it's worth mentioning that because the French did not look themselves at all. I mean, you had Dembele, I think, and Giroud substituted before half time even um, Griezmann uh, substituted in the second half and you don't substitute him as the commentator said without if there's, if there's if there's nothing wrong with him but I was like you when it got to about 70-80 minutes I thought the game was flat, I thought it was dead but then I remembered Argentina-Holland, there was something about that game as well I think in the quarter final when it was the same sort of pattern again, Argentina were in control that match 2-0 up, 80 minutes Holland hadn't had a strike on goal and Argentina did it again. They, they lost two sloppy goals in the last 10 minutes as things were getting a bit tense. They, and they did it again uh, last night. The, the, um, the second goal that you mentioned over by Di Maria for, for Argentina was fantastic. Uh, they had sucked the French in up, up into the Argentinian half for, for one of the few times in the, in the first half. And then the counter was like lightning. The little flick from Messi was incredible. The ball shoot to Alex McAllister, who we've got to mention as well, because he, he's got that Fife Scottish connection. Um, so we, we, we can claim to have something in, in, in the World Cup. You know, and that the ball from McAllister and the path of the media was just fantastic. You know, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was great to watch. But Stuart, you've played enough games. 2-0 is one of those strange leads especially with 10 minutes to go, you lose one. There's always that that thought at the back of your mind. The other team then has got nothing to lose and they'll go for it. But to concede two so quickly back-to-back, I mean, the second goal was a brilliant strike. First one being the penalty, I thought was just bad defending. I mean, at the end of the day, bad defending. But there was not really enough time for somebody to get a grip of Argentina and settle them down after the loss of that first goal. No, and that's where you need your senior players to kind of, um, you know, have that sense of control. I mean, I think I think there was, you know, you've got to say the the, the equaliser from Mbappe was a terrific bit of play, um, and and just what Mbappe needed. This is this is why teams were doubling up on him from the knockout stages onwards because they were thinking one's not enough to handle him, and you saw that he popped the ball down, got it back, and fantastic technique. I'll come back to the point I've made a few times about um, Didier Deschamps, who I think is a very courageous coach. And, and you mentioned it already, James had spoken about the, you know, the, whether or not there was a flu uh, you know, uh, issue um, in the squad. Um, to me, that's by the by. I think that he was hooking off um, certainly Dembele for his part in the, in the Di Maria penalty and also the fact that he'd, he'd, he'd offered nothing. Um, now, you could argue Mbappe hadn't done a whole lot more on the other side and nor Giroud, to be fair, as a front three, they hadn't done an awful lot. But you're never going to take Mbappe off. You know, absolutely no chance. But he was brave enough to say, I'm going to hook the other two because they're ineffective. Most managers, 95% of managers will wait till half time. And he thought, you know what, I, I can, I'm going to make the decision. I'll make it now. Very, very brave. 41 minutes, bring off your top goal scorer in France's history, Dembele, who, who can be devastating. Off you come, you know, and, and threw on a couple of players, both who had an influence, particularly Colo Muani, I think was was the... Was the uh, bigger of the two. And again, Griezmann, we were talking about him, contender of the tournament, 71 minutes, off you come. 
Um, you know, took off Hernandez, the left back, to, to to add a player who, you know, in Camavinga who could get forward. And these were the decisions that I think that, you know, potentially got France back in the game because what, what it gave them was legs and they were able to press high up the pitch. And at that point, there was just a little bit of quality went out of Argentina's game in, in, t in terms of, you know, keeping the ball and hitting on the counter. France penned them in. And, and then at that stage, you're thinking, right, well, it's game on. And I honestly thought France were going to win the game in extra time. I was I was kind of a little bit taken aback when Argentina scored. Um, but it was just it was just a game that had you on on the edge of your seat. Um, and, uh, you know, I still maintain to this day, I, I want to see Golden Goal brought back because I, I, I think that the, the drama that you would have had from Messi um, scoring the goal. Um, I, I'm just never particularly comfortable seeing penalty shootouts. I know the drama is great, but I would rather, you know, you, you have it, particularly now you've got VAR and you can make sure that, you know, controversial decisions, um, you know, are few and far between. So, the, you know, the winning goal for Messi would have been a great way to, to finish the game. But as much as it hit me in the pocket a little bit, because I had a, a right few quid on France to win the whole tournament, uh, I have no complaints about the winner. I, I think it would have been an absolute travesty if Argentina hadn't have gone on to win that game. They were they were the better team by a distance, and France really only came into it when Mbappe scored the the first penalty. Um, and I agree with you as well. I, I know some people are offering a, an opinion on the ref's performance, and people always want to complain about I don't know what. But um, I thought that all three penalties uh, were, were penalties because the defending was so bad. Uh, Dembele he, he clipped his. Um, you know, back foot, causing him to fall over. And again, should have accepted the, the fact that Di Maria was around him. He couldn't put the brakes on. Couldn't It's ego for players um, where they think, oh, I'm going to get, oh, sugar, I've brought him down, penalty. Otamendi, that's a miracle that Argentina won the World Cup with him inside because I think he's an absolute walking uh, mistake. Um, and again, just got wrong side, should have let him go, couldn't help himself. Um, and then the last one, you know, people saying, oh, what's the guy supposed to do? Well, not jump up with his elbow by his ear is for a start. So I thought the referee got all three penalties correct. Um, and yeah, it was just it was a it was a very exciting final. And um, I think, you know, let's be honest, the vast majority of neutrals were supporting Argentina because of Messi. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, I think watching it. I wasn't too bothered. I thought France would win. I thought they were the, the, the better side coming into it. But I wasn't particularly bothered. But I don't know whether it's that sense of Scottish Presbyterianism or not, James, but I felt hard done by when it was 2-2 because I thought Argentina had basically run the game and I would have felt really sorry for them. Stuart's talked about the ref, our, our Polish friend. Not only did he get the three penalties right, he got the dive right. It was the first penalty for diving in the World Cup. And he called it immediately. There was no point to the spot, let's wait to see if VAR overruled me. He he was absolutely steadfast in his decision making and I thought he also allowed the players to play. He did. Um, Simon Marciniak, I think his name is. Um, yep. You're right, when he gave the penalties, he gave them decisively as well. There was no mucking about, there was no looking at VAR, the, the, the dive in there or the simulation uh, to give it its proper name in, in the penalty area. Again, spot on, instant, um, instantly produced the yellow card. So nobody, again, didn't give people time to react and think and stuff like that. So no, I thought he was really, in fact, he only had four yellows over the, the 100, I was going to say the 120 minutes. He actually only had three yellows in the 120 minutes because I think the caution for Martinez, who I'd love to speak about in a minute, actually came in the penalties. One of the other um, cautions was to Giroud, 
after he'd been subbed, which is, is quite unusual as well. So he only really had the, the dive uh, for Rabio and I think it was Fernandez in the match. The it's worth mentioning. I think his name is Emiliano Martinez. He has he upset a lot of people last night on the pitch and off. There's people still talking about him today. It's a shame because I think that threatened to overshadow the, the good that Argentina did in this match as well. They were outstanding. They did have that lapse again where they let France back into the game like they did with Holland in the, the previous round or the couple of rounds before, as I said. But I, I, I do I agree with Stuart. It would have been a travesty had they not won. They nearly lost that match. Let's again be honest, they were hanging on for the last five minutes of the 90. And even at um, 3-3 in extra time, it was your man, uh, Coco Mianiani, who had a great chance at the, 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 at the last at the last kick of the ball. Again, that man, Martinez, pulled off a great save. But then his antics, I thought, in the, the penalty shootout, he's got to be better than that. He's, he's, he's a confident, tall goalkeeper. You've, you've mentioned uh, Lloris, not a great goalkeeper. He should have just done got between the sticks and then he's talking with his gloves rather than gesticulating with the opponent, throwing the ball away, etc. James, I want to jump in there. I want to jump in there because I want to ask you something about from a refereeing perspective because I I had a lot of sympathy for the referee in that. And and, and can you imagine this scenario? And, and this is an extraordinary scenario to imagine, but but it's, you know, I think that the referee in that situation, Martinez was going to do whatever he wanted to do. And, and he took a booking. But let's be honest, the chances of a referee giving him another one, uh, I mean, let's, no. it's, it's, it's not going to happen. You really have to go some. No, so right. Martinez was was up to no good and he was doing what he wanted to do and, and, and coming out and having a chat and, you know, bringing the ball back and all this type of thing. The referee's never he's, he's never going to give him no, two. No, he's yards. not going to give a second yellow. Because, because right. let's, let's talk about that scenario. If he had, God forbid, what happens? Can, can so yeah, you can replace him with the the, the subkeeper. I'm sure, but I think you maybe have to. Re- no, that's where it gets interesting. I suppose I would need to check that because I think it has changed if, over the last few years. If, if he's if he's if he's been sent off, uh, surely the only person that they can use is is someone who finished the game. Someone on the park. I think there is there. You've caught me out. You've done it, but there is some technicality. I think when it comes to. Uh, kicks from the penalty mark to decide a game. I would need to check that, but I'm pretty sure that if you do send off a keeper in, in that game, now it would be interesting, and I will now look it up. I did think about it last night, so I should have known that you were going to ask this, because what are the alternatives? You, The goalkeeper goes off, and you use one of the guys who's in the centre circle, who's either yeah, taking I mean, a penalty or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if Google is correct and Google is is rarely wrong, if a goalkeeper is sent off during the shooter, another player who finished the game must act as goalkeeper. If a player other than the goalkeeper becomes injured or sent off during the shootout, then the shootout continues with no substitution allowed. But the opposition then um, now goalkeepers injured during penalty kicks can be changed. So if the goalkeeper is right. injured, that, that can be changed as yeah. as long as. You've still got a substitute, so there you go. You're still going to have mm-hmm. the substitute. Let, let, let's not talk about um, the Golden Glove Trophy and oh, what Martinez what did with that. That's where he I mean, got his second yellow. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean that, that would have been funny if the referee had come over and booked him for that. Let, <laughs> let, let's let, let's the, the only thing I want to mention about that is I know it's called the Golden Glove, but goalkeepers of two hands, a nicer trophy would be with two hands rather than one. And genuinely, it looked like somebody during the penalty shootout was going right. We've got player of the tournament, a young player of the. We got anything for the goalkeeper? Can somebody just knock something together? Because it is the worst-looking trophy that you've ever seen in your life. It makes the East of Scotland Shield look regal. You know, that, that kind of thing. But to be fair, you're right. it actually it looked like a marigold glove that's yeah, it did. blown up and stuck on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. so, so uh, FIFA were not particularly well organised. Let's talk about the... That mind game, sure, of you know, goalkeeper trying to put you off, not just in a penalty shootout, during any penalty. Now, I know you, Stuart, you, you, you're quite, you're not a shrinking violet on the on the football field. You're confident in your own ability. Is that what you need to be? As if to say, oh, sod off, you know, yeah. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. You, you need to have that self confidence and and also that ability to block things out because I think that um, one of the things that the players should do is just grab the ball and take control of the situation, which is turn their back on the goalie. So he can mess about, and the referee would, I think, would give the benefit of the doubt to the outfield player because he would think, well, they're not going to take it until this idiot's back on his line. I'll give them a little bit of time to compose themselves. And, and at that point, you know, it, it comes down to that thing of, I mean, another thing I want to touch on is is um, we were talking about in, in great detail um, Harry Kane's situation, scored the first penalty, took the second penalty, people suggesting they should have changed the penalty take and whatnot. And uh, it's interesting that Mbappe had uh, a penalty in the game to to equalise. Uh, sorry, first penalty to to bring France back into the game, and then a penalty uh, in extra time to equalise, and then a third a third penalty in in the penalty shootout. Mm-hmm. Three penalties, same way every time. Three out of three. So uh, the principle, it's, it's not to say that you just need one argument to turn around and say there's nothing wrong with Harry Kane taking two, but what it is, it shows you, it, it comes down to the player having the courage to say, right, this is my favourite penalty. And, I, and I, I don't even think he nailed um, two out of the three because I think Martinez got a hand to two of them. But what he did was he he hit them hard and hard enough that the goalie couldn't get across him. You know, I mean, he must have been hitting that ball 65, 70 miles an hour in order to get it past Martinez, um, you know, even when he got a hand to it. And that's just comes down to self-confidence. I mean, I, I'm, I was saying to you, my, my idea would be one right, one left and one down the middle, because then the goalie wouldn't have a clue where you're going. <laughs> and that's, um, but I was very surprised. I think that, I think the only penalty that was down the middle was Kolo Muani in, yeah. in the whole shootout. Everyone chose a side. And, and, and did you see what happened when Kolo Muani blasted it? Didn't get near it. Didn't even get close to it. Straight down the middle, put his foot through it. It was just interesting that um, uh, as, as good as Martinez is, uh, you know, not just the mind games, but his spring is fantastic. I will say, Hugo Lloris is, oh, I mean, my goodness, that guy has got concrete boots on. He 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 couldn't move. I mean, he, he never looked like saving any of them and they didn't even take great penalties. And it reminded me of Peter Shilton. If you if you ever get the chance, go back and see the penalties in the 1990 semi-final, England against Germany. And Germany hit a couple of decent ones and three pretty ropey ones. And Peter Shilton doesn't even, I mean, I'm not even sure he gets off the ground. I mean, he it, it, it looks like a 40-year-old who they've just kind of dragged out of the out of the stands to have a go. 
and it's an interesting thing that um you know all of the all of the pundits were saying well this is argentina's because they've got a great goalkeeper and france don't and you know that's that's the difference isn't it that's that's all it can take Lloris looked like he was diving away from the ball just about every kick almost like and he nearly got one james he almost he almost got one it wasn't quite down the middle with but his it boot. came back yeah. yeah with his boot one of the interesting things and, and james you've seen this is that some goalkeepers just aren't penalty savers they're just not that's not how they're wired and I, and i think you know we, we've seen holland have done it you know they've brought on their their sub goalkeeper you know with, with a minute to play because they know he's their penalty guy so it it, it then makes you question obviously that uh, he was a, he was a better alternative than the other goalkeepers sitting on the bench. But he, as you're right, never looked like saving anything. And, and Martin, and that's why I was surprised at Martinez, because he, he is a more renowned penalty uh, stopper, if you like. So why he then... You almost expect it of a guy who's not got the confidence when he's facing penalties to start indulging in the mind games and you know doing the wobbly legs and waving his arms around and gesticulating. But that's why I was, I was very disappointed in Martinez. But Lloris... I have to agree with Stuart. Concrete boots there and concrete gloves. <laughs> yeah, top class goalkeeper, just not particularly great from the penalty spot. I mean, it it was it was amazing. It's always thrilling when it when it goes to penalties. I, I don't know about you guys, I thought it took an absolute age to get the trophy presented. I mean, it just felt like forever. I know they wanted the big stage to make it look good. So, so I'm going to ask both of you, and I just I just want a straight answer: which was Naffer, the stage, or Messi having to put on the robe? I, I was really disappointed with the robe because you know one of the things I'll say about Argentina's kit is iconic. I mean, it's absolutely iconic, and and you would want to show that off in all its glory, and and to have a you know, um, well, like a headmaster's dodgy cape was was just it looked uh, ridiculous. Um, thankfully, he managed to kind of shed it for, for most of the photos going around the pitch. Um, but it was, yeah, it, I thought it was a really kind of crass effort by Qatar to kind of say, you know, this is how we do things in our country. I thought it was just, I thought it was just rubbish. But it was, it was very interesting that, um, it, you know, I, I said this at the time, you know, when we were going into the final. So you're going to have Mbappe and Messi battling out for the golden, bought a golden um, boot, and 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 guaranteed. Whoever won the golden boot, they would have given play of the tournament to the other guy. They, they were going to split it. That was a, that was mm -hmm. an absolute certainty. You know, they wouldn't have given both to Messi. I'm absolutely convinced they would have said Mbappe, here you go, you can have this as a consolation. But he won the golden ball by um, golden um, boot by getting eight Good. goals yeah. to Messi seven. Um, and I was looking it up. I was just trying to check and see. And I talk about you know people following the market. Messi was twelve to one at the start of the tournament. Um, and uh, for uh, for Golden Ball, which is player of the tournament, and Martinez was eight to one, second or third favourite for Golden Glove, and Mbappe was ten to one. Only Harry Kane was in front of him. Um, and I was looking through all these things, and even even the final, um, I think it was the second or third favourite, Argentina France, at twenty five to one. And I was trying to look foot through it and see any any value. And this was a classic. What price do you think Morocco were to reach the semi finals? Oh. Three, four hundred, something yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 We'd have to be way out. <clears throat> You'd be surprised <clears throat> if that was to get to the to the final. It probably would have been three figures, but they were only thirty-three to one. Really? I say, I, I know that I know. And listen, I know thirty-three to one is a lovely winner, and you'd all be very excited. But I'd have wanted double that or triple that on Morocco to get to the semi-finals. 
bearing in mind that they'd never even made the knockout um, stages. Um, but it was it was interesting because I, I was I'm always drawn. I, I, I heard a great expression, uh, you know, from someone said to me whenever, you know, in terms of betting, when everyone else is yinging, you should be yanging. So I thought, right, everyone's talking about this World Cup. Let's have a look at the next one. So, <laughs> so I've got odds for you. <laughs> I've got odds for you for the World Cup 2026, just just in case you're interested. Right. Brazil, six to one favourites again. Again, six to one favourites, followed by France, seven to one. England, nine to one. Germany and Argentina, 10 to one. Spain, 11 to one. Nether uh, Portugal, 16 to one. Netherlands, 25 to one. Have you ever, ever heard Italy being 25 to one for the World Cup? <clears throat> because they haven't qualified for the last two. But I'm pretty damn sure they'll be at the next one. And How Argentina, much money do you put on Italy? <laughs> It's it's just it's one of those things where if you think they're going to qualify, you, you, there'll be half those odds come the tournament. So it's it's a value bet if nothing else. If you if you have if you, if you have belief in Italian football bouncing back as as they did at the Euros, I'd be inclined to think if there's one team that's going to shorten because I was very interested in doing a bit of research on you know remember when I said at this uh, in our first program the biggest gamble in this tournament is Argentina. All the money has been for Argentina. Mm -hmm. And I checked and I managed to trace this back. The World Cup draw um, for the group stages was actually on the 1st of April, 2022. There were still three teams that hadn't qualified, which, of course, Scotland was still in the mix at the time. So Costa Rica hadn't qualified, nor had Australia and nor had Wales. So 20, 29 teams out of 32 were in it on the 1st of uh, April, 2022, and they did the draw. Argentina were 12 to 1 on the 1st of April. And when we came to the first kick of the ball at the start of the tournament, they were 6 to 1 after a 36-game unbeaten run. Not dissimilar to Italy with the Euros. So all I'm going to say to you is when we get to the Euros, or particularly when we get to the next World Cup, look for the team who's had a long unbeaten run because that's what you found, even though that they managed to put a defeat to Saudi Arabia behind them and still go yeah. on and win the tournament, which I think is extraordinary because, I don't know about you, but in my head, I was kind of thinking, well, they're gone. They're gone. I mean, you're, you you don't win the World Cup after no. maybe you just don't. You don't. And 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 they got better and better and better. So I I take my hat off to them. I really do. I, I massive respect. Sure, to sure. A couple of things in there. Uh, clearly, when um, Argentina were twelve to one in April, that's because Scotland were still in the tournament. Since Scotland <laughs> went out, that's yeah. what reduced Argentina's odds to six to one. The um, the going back to the post-match ceremonial stuff as well. I was I was like you, Paul. It just went on far too long. It was really cringeworthy. I was like, Stuart, seeing poor Messi there standing in a see-through black negligee over his Argentinian top was, <laughs> was embarrassing. And making Mbappe stand beside Messi and I think the... I can't remember who the, the young player was. Young player oh, the, the goalkeeper. The yeah, that, yeah, that was, that was an but the worst part for me was watching President Macron try, I think, three times to console an Mbappe who clearly just didn't want to know and probably doesn't vote for his party from the look on his face. <laughs> that, that, was, that was quite cringeworthy as well. But um, I'm guessing they obviously think Argentina 10-1 for the next tournament because... They, they reckon Messi won't be around at the next World Cup, although I see he's saying he's not retiring now he's going to continue to play for the national team they i mean this is the point that um you know we will surely all agree argentina don't win that tournament without messi 
and and we're talking about you know we've had all these ridiculous conversations about people getting obsessed with this term. I hate this term, by the way. Goat, the goat, greatest of all time. Let's let's track down the person who came up with that, and and you know, let's let's do what needs to be done. That is <laughs> just an absolutely ridiculous term, and I I can't stand it. It really frustrates the life out of me because most of these people coming coming out with this nonsense have never even seen Pele play. They've never, probably never seen Maradona play. And they're making a comparison as if there's only two guys. You know, it's, it's between Messi and Ronaldo. It's like, listen, it, it's been a phenomenal era. And Messi, Messi has still got it. And I'm afraid to say Ronaldo probably hasn't. You know, but but I, I, I listen, Messi will do what he wants to do. I would have thought it was a great time to bow out because it just doesn't get any better yeah. than this. But he's not going to be playing in four years' time. Um, and, and unless... Argentina can magic someone out of thin air, then I'm going to suggest that they're probably not the team that you want to be following in four years' time. But then again, it's not really very easy to, you know, to 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 look at um, who will be, um, you know, because uh, England are going to need to find a number nine to replace Kane um, because he'll be 33 um, and he's pretty slow as it is now. So I'm not so sure he's, he's going to be, um, you know, anyone to hang your hat on um, in four years' time with his injuries and stuff like that. But it'd be fascinating to see um, you know, how, how it pans out because invariably I still maintain the same thing. Do you remember we said at the start, the World Cup gets won by one of the big guns, which it did, mm-hmm. and it's normally competed for in the final by the big guns, which it was. So we, we kind of said concentrate on the big countries. And once again, that's exactly what we got. And, and I'm fine with that. Three things to, to finish off our World Cup podcast. First thing is just to talk about England there. Roger Mitchell, the former chief of the Scottish Premier League, uh, has written an article, uh, which is well worth checking on his, his social media on Twitter, as if a consultancy firm went into the English FA to do a review of why England haven't won the World Cup. It's absolutely brilliant. It's written <laughs> tongue-in-cheek, but if you look at the conclusion, it is absolutely spot-on. England will not win the World Cup until their mentality changes. It's mm. There's a sense of entitlement coming from the greatest league in the world, but they're not producing world-class players. They're not producing world-class managers. When was the last Englishman to, you know, to win the domestic league in England? You know, all of these things. So that's worth a go. The second thing I want to talk about is just the broadcast side of things. Um, ITV, you as always, were beaten by the BBC. That always happens principally because people don't like the adverts. Uh, I thought both were well presented. However, I went to the radio. I had five live in the first half, which was Ian Dennis and John Murray as the commentators with Rob Green and Chris Sutton. And it was talk sport for the second half, Jim Proudfoot and Stuart Pearce. And I'll tell you what, all the commentators, those three, were absolutely tremendous. But I reckon ITV, by putting Ali McCoist on, probably put on anywhere between 400,000, 500,000 people on their audience um, because he just has that ability to make you want to, to watch the game. And for his line to say that um, Mbappe is the first player to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final by getting all three over the line was was utter genius. <laughs> and only somebody like Ali McCoy could come out with. Gentlemen, it has been a great tournament, but it does slightly annoy me that this recency bias, you know, it, you know, social media has been full of it. And I, I genuinely think it's lazy journalism as well to talk about, was this the greatest... If you say, was this one of the greatest, I can get that. So if you go back to 
Go back to 1954. James, this is one of your favourite World Cups. West Germany beat Hungary by three goals to two. Within 90 minutes, they got the winner six minutes from time and they'd been 2-0 down against a team that normally thumped them. Who's talking about that today? Because we don't remember it. I mean, that was a remarkable... Is it the miracle of Bern? Yeah, still still going about in Germany today. Das Wunder von Bern, obviously they refer to it as. It was it was a huge moment for Germany because, as you know, it was only nine years after the Second World War. They'd never won the World Cup before. It was West Germany back then, and it meant so much to the nation. They'd played Hungary in the group stages before, and I think they'd lost eight goals. It was a great game, like eight three. It was for the Hungarians who were unbeatable at the time. And when Germany somehow got to the final, despite that that defeat, nobody expected them to get a result against Hungary. 2-0 down, I think, within the first 10 minutes, maybe even eight minutes, because Germany got a goal back. Pusha scored for Hungary, of course, as he would. But Germany got back to 2-2, and then in the second half, 3-2. And um, there's, there's still um, rumours in Hungary today that the, the, the Germans took drugs, they, they must have taken something. In fact, a lot of the German squad was, were dead within about 10 or 15 years. So this this confirmed what the Hungarians thought because there was no way Germany... But, I mean, it's like you said, there's games 3-2 back then, Hungary-Germany, there was Brazil 5, Sweden 2. That great Italy game where they played Brazil and Mexico and it was 4-0 or 4-1. Um, great games. There's been some fantastic finals. So who are we to uh, on the back of that? It was brilliant last night. It was a fantastic game. It was really exciting. It had everything. But is it the best World Cup final ever? We weren't at them all, were we? And there's, there's some some of them that haven't even got footage. There's a few games that I want to flag up. I'm just going to go to the knockout stages because they it, 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 they just have a bit more on it. You know, the, the, there's there's a sense that you know teams can recover from group stage you know defeats as as we saw with you know I mean listen you know Brazil you know lost in the group stages because they rested players so did France and Argentina came back from that shocking defeat against um, Saudi Arabia but the the five games that I've scribbled down um, Brazil beating South Korea where they were four 0 up after half an hour and 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 I would say that was the best half an hour of football I saw in the whole tournament they absolutely blitzed South Korea. And it was just beautiful, the, the goal that Richarlison scored, where they just popped it around, zip, zip, zip. Wonderful one-touch football and a lovely finish. That was that was just magnificent to watch. Portugal, who we had kind of ex- uh, didn't expect big things from, but we had to have humble pie because they were phenomenal against um, Switzerland. We were actually saying that was a difficult one to call. They mullered them 6-1. Um, you know, and that was a, a phenomenal performance. The two best quarterfinals for me, Netherlands-Argentina was a cracker, you know, because of two late goals for, for the Netherlands going to extra time and penalties. England-France was, was I thought, was the best balanced game in terms of two very, very good teams going at it, hammer and tongs. Um, and then, of course, the final. Um, so not difficult to pick out great games. And I think that one thing I did... Had, I had a suspicion at the start that this would be a good time to have a tournament because I, I understand the mindset of players and and pretty much everyone going into that tournament and no one was overcooked. You know, no one had even, you know, was was even halfway through their season. So, so no excuses about tiredness, you know, mental fatigue, any of that type of stuff. Um, season. Yeah, n- none of that stuff. You do, you just didn't have that. Oh, this guy's played sixty games already, and you know before the World Cup started. That's that. So, you know, 
we we were finding lots of reasons to be critical of the of the World Cup being in Qatar, but but sometimes you can get lucky. And I think that one thing we had was boundless energy, and and particularly you know watching those two teams going at it. Um, you know, I, I think the, the first player to cramp up was Varane about five minutes from time. But it was uh, no, I, I I really enjoyed the tournament, and and um, it it didn't disappoint. It has been terrific. We look forward to joining you again with all three points. We'll move away from the World Cup. We're going to have a little post-World Cup celebration and talk about what we're going to do with the podcast. Thanks to everybody for listening. What we can tell you and we can exclusively reveal, as well as telling you the betting odds for 2026, we can exclusively reveal on all three points because there's three host countries, Mexico, Canada and the USA, and the winner will be presented with a trophy while wearing a big sombrero, clutching some poutine and with a shotgun in his other hand. You've been listening to all three points with Stuart Lovell, James B and myself, Paul Mitchell. Thank you to everybody who's listened. Look out for us again on social media. We will be back. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.